Hello everyone and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez and I want to thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemory.org connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during this season. And now, a special message by Pastor Rick. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. That's us, Christ Fellowship. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Now, with that in mind, listen to the challenge that God gives us down in verse 10. Here's what the Word of God says. Live a life. Everybody say, live a life. life. Yeah, live a life in 2020. Live a life worthy of the Lord and do what? Yeah, please Him. That's what we're going to be talking about today, about living a life that pleases Him. God. So grab a seat at all of our campuses, and um, I want to kind of get us started today by reminding you of something. Today is January the 5th, and we're only about 10 days removed from Christmas Day, right? But I wonder, I wonder how many kids are already bored Yeah, with the toy, they couldn't wait to get on Christmas Day. They're already over it. In fact, I was thinking back this week on one of my childhood Christmases when I was about 10 years old because I couldn't wait for that Christmas Day. And I couldn't wait because I knew I was going to get a train set for Christmas. It seemed like I had wanted a train year, a train set for 10 years of my life, and my mom informed me I was going to get one. In fact, she couldn't afford one, but the church was bringing one down the street, was going to bring one to us. At any rate, on Christmas morning, when I got up, there it was, under the tree in this box, which I immediately ripped into. And there were all the, the pieces for me to put the train together, which was fun as heck in and of itself. I mean, I put together, first of all, the track, which was a circle. Then I put together all the little boxcars, and then I put together the engine. Now, mind you, there were no bridges. There was no train station. There was no delivery station, none of that. It was just this flat, circular track with the boxcar and the engine. That was it. But that was no problem for me. I loved it. And so I, I turned, I plugged it into the wall. Mine was electric. This was battery. This one was electric. I plugged it into the wall, and then I hit the on switch. And I was amazed because my little train started moving around the track. And all day long on Christmas Day, I was fascinated watching this train go in this circle and hour after hour I mean I just stared at this thing going in this circle and I love my train but I want you to stay in the story because the next day I got up day after Christmas put my train on, on the track and turned it on 
But folks, as I look at, looked at it, it struck me that my train was going in the same circle that it had gone in the day before. And it was going around and around and around the same ground that it had gone around a dozen times, a hundred times the day before. And as I looked at it, it was like my train couldn't stop itself from just going in this circle around it. It couldn't control itself from not just going in this circle. And then, and then it hit me. My brain is stuck. I mean, my train. Yeah, my train, my train, my train. My train is stuck in this circle. And the reason it's stuck in this circle is because this track is tracking it to keep going in this circle. And it's going to go in this circle, I thought, day after day, week after week, month after month. It's going to circle over and over the same ground that it has circled the day before. And it couldn't stop itself. Now, folks, let me, let me turn a corner and bring that all over to our study in the book of Colossians. Because what an image of our brain, right? And by that, I mean just like my train was stuck and, and going in this circle. And just like my train couldn't stop going in this circle because this track was tracking it to go in this circle day after day to go around and around the same ground that it had gone around before. Just like that, just like that. Listen, your brain, my brain, can get stuck, can't they? And when your brain gets stuck in this circle, then it just habitually gets on that same track and you start circling the same thought day after day. You start circling the same old thought that you've thought about a hundred times before. And for some reason, can you relate to this? You can't stop it from doing it. And so your brain starts circling the what if thoughts. What if that happens? What if I don't make that sale? What if we don't get the money? You know, and then you start circling the hopeless thoughts. You know, I, I'll, I'll always be single. I'll never be, meet a person. We'll never have a home. We'll never get ahead. And then you start circling the bitterness thoughts. Look what they said about me. Look what she wrote on social media, media about me, and you become a bitter person as you circle it more and more. And then you circle the regret thoughts. You know, I blew it in 2019. I was a failure last year. I let everybody down, and you just start circling over and over. Or you start circling the, the lustful thoughts. And you start having those fornication kind of thoughts, those adultery kind of thoughts, those pornographic kind of thoughts. And, and for some reason, you're thinking, I can't stop my brain from going in this circle. And folks, let me tell you something. The more you circle the thought, the deeper the track gets cut in your brain. Yes, yes, Scientists can see the ruts that get cut because your brain has 
made a track, and the track, tra- this is why your, your brain goes into the circle without you even thinking about it. And for some reason, for some reason, you feel like you can't stop thinking about that. The what if, the worst case scenarios, you just go round and around about it. Well, listen, I believe God has brought some of you here today because he's saying to some of you, it's time to stop, stop circling the track. God wants to change your mind by changing the track you're on. By the way, back to my, back to my train, because <laughs> I realized the only way I was going to get it unstuck from this circle was to change the track my train was on. So I went out and got some new track. I went to the store and bought some, some straight track. And the straight track took my train off the circle track that it was on and put it on a, a trajectory that was straight ahead. And I got, I got me some little train depots and some little delivery stations. And I put matchsticks in my little cars and, and those became wood and timber and logs. And I put my train on a mission to carry those to the train station. And I gave my, my train a new mission and a new challenge to go for. And let me tell you, it, it changed my entire train experience. I loved it again. Now, folks, let me turn a corner and bring that over to us because here's my proposition today. I believe God wants to change your mind. There's nothing like a changed mind. And the way God wants to change your mind is to give you a new track, a track that will take you off of this circle of just going round and around, worrying and anxiety and fear, take you off of that circular trajectory and put you on a trajectory that will give you a mission, that will give you purpose, that will give you a challenge in your life that will be the highest challenge that you can ever reach for. Now, you might be saying, well, Rick, what is, what is the new train of thought that God wants to put my brain on that will get me off of that circle? Well, that's what we're going to find out as we kick off the book of Colossians. You ready to go? Ready to change your mind? Ready to stop getting in that circle? Here we go. I want to give you three big thoughts. How many of you have your listening guides? Yeah, we like to take notes. I want to give you three major thoughts. Here they are. Number one. You want to change the way you think? Number one, in 2020, concentrate on your highest potential. Focus on your highest potential. What is that? Let's pick it up in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful, say it again with me, the faithful Brothers and sisters, yeah, in Christ. Now stop right there. Because God has so much to say to us, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the book of Colossians. I mean, there's just page after page in this book of God's wisdom, of God's counsel, of God's direction, of God's plan for our life. In fact, I did a little counting this week just to see what's here in this book. And you know this, there are four chapters, but you may not know there are 95 verses. 
and dozens of sentences and hundreds of words in the book of Colossians. But here's what you need to know. This is so important. Every one of those chapters, every one of those verses, every one of those sentences, every one of those words, all of them modify one sentence in the book. All of them modify one verse in the book of Colossians. And that's verse 10 in chapter 1. Because verse 10, listen, is a statement that is actually a challenge. And this challenge, as you're going to see, is the highest pursuit that you can pursue in your life. And what God is going to call you and me to do is to concentrate all of our mental energy, not on going around and around the worry and the anxiety, but to concentrate all of your mental energy, concentrate all of your brain power, to concentrate all of your creative thinking, not on going around the circle, but to concentrate on this challenge, this pursuit that God has for us in verse 10. And what is the challenge? Here it is, verse 10. Live a life. Everybody say live a life. Here's the challenge. Live a life that is worthy of the Lord and do what? Please him. Now stop there. Because that sentence right there is the proposition of the entire book of Colossians. You know, most of the time when I begin, my little train needs to take a break. Okay. (laughs) Most of the times when I start a book of the Bible, I'll always say, here's my proposition. The proposition is basically one sentence. I'm narrowing it down. I'm giving you one sentence that I'm then going to unpack for the next 40 minutes. Does that make sense? That's what verse 10 is. It's the proposition of the entire book. God says, here's what I'm going to tell you in one sentence, and then I'm going to unpack it in four chapters and 95 verses. And what is the proposition? What's the big idea of the book of Colossians? Verse 10, live a life. You get one of them. Live a life worthy of the Lord. And please him. Here's why that's a big deal. Write this down as A. Your highest calling, your highest calling is to live a life that pleases God. I love it. God said of Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well. What? Yeah, pleased. God said of Enoch, Enoch lived a life that pleased God. In other words, there was something about Enoch that brought a smile to the face of God. There was something about Enoch that when when God looked at Enoch's life, it just brought pleasure to God. Listen, folks, that is your highest pursuit in life, to live a life that when God looks at you, he says, that's my son. That's my son, and I'm well pleased. That's my daughter right there. That's my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Listen, you want something to think about? You want something that will take you out of the circle of just going around and around? Focus your mind on this highest calling to live your life in a way that pleases God. 
that puts a smile on God's face. In fact, write this down as B, pleasing God is your highest potential. It's your highest potential. There's nothing you can pursue higher than pursuing God. You know, I know I love a few years ago, Ford ran a commercial on their truck line, specifically the F-150. And I loved what the commercial said. It said, the F-150 doesn't raise the bar. The F-150 is the bar. I like that. The F-150 doesn't raise the bar. The F-150 is the bar, which is why I went out and got me an F-150. Yeah, yeah, I drive an F-150 truck. It doesn't raise the bar. It is the bar. But folks, let me tell you something. When it comes to God, that's not just a quip. God doesn't raise the bar. God is the bar of the universe. Meaning when you look above God, there's nothing higher. There's nothing more lofty than God. That's why Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he said this in the year that King Uzziah died. He said, I saw the Lord, what's the next word? High, High, yeah. High and exalted and seated on the throne. You say meaning what? Meaning God is seated in the chair that rules the universe. You know, if a politician is in office, he's said to be seated. He's seated in office. If he's put out of office, he's said to be unseated. God has not been unseated. God was not picked. God was not appointed. God was not chosen, and therefore God cannot be unseated. God was not voted on, God was not elected, and let me tell you something, God cannot be impeached. He cannot be put out of office. God was not made, God was not created, God did not evolve at some point in the past. In fact, at some time in the past, in fact, God created time. God made time. And God lives above time. That's why Isaiah said this, for thus saith the one who is high and lifted up and inhabits eternity. You say, what does that mean? That means God is above eternity. God is above time. You and I, on the other hand, live inside of time. There's a difference. God lives above it. He is high. There's nothing higher than God, even in terms of time. Now, when when we think about time, it's hard to define, isn't it? If I were to say to you, what does time mean? What would you say? But you know, I I think if time means anything at all, it means events are sequential. In In other words, one has to follow the other. Everything has a start and everything has a finish. Everything has a beginning and everything has an end. That's time. But listen, that's not true with God. God did not have a beginning. You can go as far back this way as you want to go in time, and you'll never reach the starting point of God because God had no beginning. You go into the future this way, and you'll never reach the time when God does not exist because God will exist forever. Now, it's hard enough to get our our minds around the idea that God 
will never stop existing. But it's a whole nother thing to imagine a time when God didn't exist. That God didn't have a start. That you can never go back and find the starting point with God. But that's God. Because God lives above time. God created time. And God put you and me in time. But God didn't put himself in time. God lives above time. He lives in eternity. God is living right now in the days of Adam and Eve. God never has to say, wow, I wish I could go back to the days of Adam and Eve. He's there now. And God doesn't, God is living right now in the days of the second coming. God doesn't have to say, I wish I could live in those days of the second. He's already there. He, he is high above everything. There's nothing higher in terms of God that you can pursue with your life in terms of time. God is the highest power in the universe. Nothing is more powerful than God. He controls everything in the universe. He controls. He keeps the planets in their orbits. He keeps the sun on its course. God is the power that controls the cells in your body. God is the power that keeps the blood flowing through your veins. Yeah, God is the power that keeps your heart beating in your chest. Last night when you were... God was keeping your heart beating in your chest, keeping your lungs inhaling. You weren't even thinking about it. God is the power that keeps everything in control. And there's nothing higher than God in terms of power. He is the highest knowledge in the universe. God knows everything. And there never was a time when God didn't know everything. Do you realize there's never been a time when God didn't know you? God's always known you. God knew you. He knew your name. He knew the plan he had for your life before he created Adam and Eve. He knew about you before he put the stars in the sky. He knew about you before he created the angels, the seraphim, and the cherubim. He already knew about you because, listen, God is the highest knowledge in the universe. He's the highest in terms of time. He's the highest in terms of power. He's the highest in terms of knowledge. And so anything you pursue other than God is way below what God wants you to pursue, which is himself. Now, I want you to think about it because God could have said, you know, I'm not going to let those lowly, sinful human beings pursue my glory. I'm going to reserve that for the angels. I'm going to reserve that for the cherubim and the seraphim. They, they can pursue the highest bar, but not those human beings. But God, in his love for you and me, listen, gave us the ultimate opportunity of living a life that pleases him. You get one chance to do that. You get one life. You get to live one life. And here's what I want you to get. Don't blow it. Strive for the highest bar that you can get and please God. And you might be saying, well, Rick, how, exactly how do I please God? How do I do that? Well, I want to I want you to write this down. Here's how you do it. Write this down as number two. Live like who you already are. 
Now you might be saying, Rick, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean live like who I already am? Well, let me tell you who you already are, what you're already like. You ready? Write it down as A. You are holy. Now, go out and live like it. You already are holy. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people. Now, folks, this is huge because that passage doesn't say you and me to become holy people. It says you already are holy. You say, meaning what? Meaning the moment you trusted Christ as Savior, God forgave all of your sins, and he deemed you holy. In fact, the Bible says on down in verse 22 that God, that that Jesus will present you to God one day as holy and unblameable and unreprovable. By the way, this is what theologians call positional truth. In other words, positionally, you already are holy in God's sight. Now, positionally, you're holy. Practically, might be another question, right? But you see, here's here's the simplicity of the Christian life. The Christian life is simply living like who God says you already are. And verse 2 says, you are what? Holy. Now, When we see the word holy, it conjures up all kind of religious images. You know, it conjures up images of men in robes, stained glass windows, pipe organ music, liturgical stuff. Nothing could be further from the truth. The The word holy there, every time you see it, it's a translation of the Greek word hagias. And here's what it simply means. It simply means something that is set apart as special and therefore to be kept pure. The idea is if you're a child of God, God has set you apart as something special. God is like, it's like God is mining for diamonds and he's going through all kinds of dirt and finally God sees that diamond in the rough, that's you, and he takes that diamond out and he sets it apart. Why? Because the miner has a plan for that rough diamond, doesn't he? God has a plan. You may be a diamond in the rough, but God has a plan for your life, and God has set you apart as special. Therefore, God wants you to keep yourself pure. Pure. And the image there is as we go through the world, the the dung, the sewage of this world can get on us, greed and lust and pride. It can get stuck to us. But listen, God is pleased when you and I mentally resist that pollution. God, it brings pleasure to God when God sees you and I fighting to keep away that pollution from our lives and to keep ourselves pure. God loves that and God is pleased by that. You see, it's a new way of thinking. Rather than just going around and around the same old thought. Maybe, you know, maybe for you the thought is, is lust. And, and, and you're thinking, you know, who am I going to please? Am I just going to please me? Is that what I'm going to do? Please my body? Or am I going to reach 
for a new trajectory. Now I got to please God. Instead, you see, you see, it's a whole new way of thinking about the purpose for everything in your life. You're holy. Live like it. Not only that, write this down as B. I got to hustle. Yeah. You are faithful. You are faithful. Now live like it. Verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae and to the, what kind of people? Faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, when you see the word faithful in the Bible, faith, you know, that English term is a bit abstract. It's a bit subjective. Faith, what is that? But it's a translation of the Greek word pistis. And pistis just simply means to trust somebody. That's all it means. So if you want to, every time you see faith, just put trust in there. In other words, you know, in other words, if you trust somebody, you trust them because you believe in them. You trust them because you, you've got confidence in them. See, God is always asking us, do you trust me? Do you trust me? God's always asking, do you trust me? In fact, I love that scene in Aladdin. When Aladdin asks Jasmine, same question, take a look. God's always saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And are you going to say, yes? You see, I trust God if I'm willing to follow him, even though I might not know where he's leading me. I trust God if I'm willing to obey him, even when I don't understand what he's asking me to do. You see, God, God gets great pleasure when we trust him and obey him. You remember that old song, that old hymn? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It brings God great pleasure. Now, don't get me wrong, because some people think that trusting God is when I tell God to do something, and I trust that God is going to do what I told him to do. Met people like that? And then you meet those people somewhere down the line and they say, I, I no longer trust God. Why? Because God didn't do what I told. God didn't do what I told. God didn't do what I told God to do. You see, that's not trust. That's not using your life to please God. That's trying to use God to get what you want. That's trying to use God to please you. But she, see, see, it brings God the greatest pleasure when I trust him even when he doesn't do what I ask him to do. It brings God great pleasure when God says no to what I ask him to do. You see, it's easy to praise God when God says yes, isn't it? It's easy to give the praise report when God does what you ask him to do. But when have you ever heard somebody say, I want to give a praise report. I asked God to do X, 
And God said, no. And I want to praise him for saying no, because I know God's going to make all things work out for my good. I trust him that even when he says no, even when he doesn't do what I ask him to do, I trust him because I know it's all going to work out for my good. Job said, Job said, even though you slay me, God, yet will I trust you. My Lord knows the way for me. David asked God to stop his enemies from slandering him. And God said, no. And David said, I'll praise God because God's going to use my enemies to teach me some things. You know, God can actually use your enemies to teach you. And so you can always say, God, thank you. I trust you, even though you're allowing this. I've had times in my life when I've had people attack me and go online and slander me and whatever and, you know, say bad things about the name of Rick Blackwood. And you know what God taught me through my would-be enemies there is that, well, you know, I wasn't worried about my name after all. My name doesn't mean anything. Rick Blackwood, I didn't come to Miami to evangelize Rick Blackwood. I asked Siri, you know, one day, Siri, who's Rick Blackwood? She said, I do not know who Rick Blackwood is. I thought, good. (laughs) God can use our enemies to teach us something and we can praise him for it and trust him no matter what. Now listen, now listen, that brings great pleasure to God, but I got to say this, living a life that pleases God is hard. It's hard to do. And here's why. It's because we face an unseen enemy, enemies, that exist in a dimension that we can't even perceive, much less see. But you need to know they are hell-bent on trying to be sure you don't please God because they hate God. They hate God and they hate anybody who loves God and seeks to please God. And so we face them like a pack of hyenas every day. So how do we overcome that and live a life that pleases God? I got to hustle. Really? Write this down as number three. Here's how you do it. Leverage your God-given resources. God has given you resources to help you please him. What are they? Write them down as A and B. A, leverage the book that God wrote. (laughs) Leverage the book that God gave you. Listen again to verse 1. Paul, here's a key word. A what? Yeah, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And everybody heads up, this is crucial. Every time you see the word apostle in the Bible, that is biblical code that says what you are about to read is the very words of God. In other words, when you see the word apostle here, that is code for the book of Colossians that you are about to read was authored by God himself. Now, mind you, God used the apostles, like Paul, to physically write down the word of God. But God so guided the apostles that as they wrote, they wrote the very words that God wanted them to write right down to the very jot and tittle in the Hebrew, which is the little accent-looking marks that give meaning to word. God guided them so that you have in your lap, in your hands, on your phone, the very words of God. 
The book of Colossians is as fresh as if God sent a letter and put it in your mailbox today. It's for you now. And I love it because it tells you who you are. This is a letter to you from God, and it tells you who you are. Watch this, too. God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace, watch this, to you from who? From God. Paul's saying this, is, this letter, Colossians, is to you, and it's from God. And God tells you who you are, Amen. and he thereby tells you who you're not. You see, you're, you're not who she says you are. You're not who they say you are. You are who God says you are. You're his son. You're his daughter. And he says grace and peace to you. You know what that means? It means you've been favored by God. That's who you are. You see, this is why... We need to take in the Word of God so that we can be encouraged by the Word of God and have the courage and the strength to live a life that pleases Him by re- being reminded of His will and His plan. Secondly, write this down as B. Leverage the family God gave you. Leverage the family. Listen to verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful, keyword again, phrase, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, everybody heads up because what I'm about to tell you is so crucial. You see, God has given you a family. In fact, this is so crucial. Give me a camera. I want to look that one. Yeah, because I want to make sure you get this at all of our campuses. God has given you a family. It's called the church. Specifically, this one is called Christ fellowship. God is our Father. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look around. The same blood, the same blood, the same blood that was shed on the cross that redeemed that brother and that sister redeemed all of us. We are blood brothers and sisters in Christ. And folks, here's what we need to know, because because. Living the Christian life isolated from your brothers and sisters in Christ is nearly impossible to do. It is, impo- it is impossible to face a group of demonic hyenas who want to get you to doubt. If you don't have brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to stick together. You see, nobody gets you like another brother gets you. Nobody gets you like another sister gets you. Nobody understands the temptations like another brother does. Nobody understands the goal of your life to to please God like another sister does. We need each other to encourage each other, to exhort one another, come on, to pray for one another, to help one another, to love one another so that we can live a life that pleases God. Now, 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 here's how we do that at Christ Fellowship. We call it small groups. It's very practical. You see, in this big group, you can't be loved, you can't be known, you can't be encouraged, you can't be celebrated in your victories and prayed for when you're down, but that happens in small groups. In small groups, we meet to study the Word of God so that we understand who we are. 
We meet to love each other, to know each other, to encourage each other, to pray for one another, to protect each other, to protect each other from loneliness. In fact, write this down as, as one under that. Loneliness is a feeling of being alone. We don't want anyone to feel alone. You know, you can be surrounded by people and still feel alone, right? I was talking to a group of pastors a few weeks back, and I said to them, we can be surrounded by people as pastors and be the loneliest person in the room. Pastors need other pastors, because nobody gets a pastor like another pastor. Nobody gets a brother like another brother. Nobody gets a sister like another sister. Loneliness. But worse than loneliness is isolation. Because if loneliness is feeling alone, write this down as two, isolation is actually being alone. And I'm telling you, you cannot survive the Christian life in isolation from your brothers and sisters from Christ. You can't do it. It's just like in the animal world. The, the animals, the hyenas will go after the animal, the prey that is isolated, that is alone. They will always go after that one. Why? Because he doesn't have the protection of his brothers and sisters. In fact, take a look at this and I'll close. Folks, I love that because what an image of us. No matter how strong you may think you are as a believer, you might think you're a lion, you know, as a believer. But listen, every day that we walk out into the world, it's like a pack of hyenas begin to surround us and they're hell-bent on tempting you, on getting you to doubt, on getting you to disbelieve God, to drag you down into sin, to drag you down so that you don't live a life that pleases God. And no matter how strong you are, you can't survive. You can't outnumber them. You need, don't you love it when that, when that other lion comes walking up? Hey, I see what's going on here. Boy, I tell you, when I first saw that video, I remember thinking, I'm not gonna sit here and watch those lions, I mean, those hyenas eat this lion. And when that, when that other lion came up, I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Listen, as your pastor, I'm not going to sit here and watch Satan devour your life because you live in isolation. Your family lives isolated from God, from God's people. We need each other. We're stronger. We're better protected when we stay together. And so here's, here's my challenge today. Join a small group. Join a small group. You see, in 2020, my prayer for you is that you're going to keep, quit circling the same old thoughts, the same old worries, the same old anxieties, the same old worst-case scenarios. You're going to get out of that circle and say, I want to live a life that pleases God no matter what the fears may be. And the way I will live this life is by being holy and by being trustful of God. And the way I'm gonna be able to do that is by reading his word, taking in the word of God every day, and by protecting myself in a small group of God's family, my brothers and sisters. So my challenge is to you today is simple. On the way out today, join a small group if you're not in one. If you're not in one, at least get some information on. 
You see, you may go to a small group and maybe a group of people and you say, I don't think I like those pe- people. I don't fit in there. No problem. Go to another one. You might go to one and say, I don't know if I ever fit in that group either. doesn't matter. Go to another one. Keep going. Keep going. Until you find the one that you go, ah, this is, this is where I, f- I feel like I fit in. We want you in a group for your protection. As your pastor, that's what I want to encourage you to do today. Well, I'm going to ask all our campus pastors to come forward now. Christ Fellowship, I love you all. God bless you. Happy New Year. If you want to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know at cfmemmy.org connect and filling out a connection card. We want to thank you so much for joining us. We love you and God bless.